Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. You're listening to Java Chats with Dr. Sandy, your personal brew of life with a teaspoon of medicine. Real women, real life, real chats. Hello, all, and welcome back to another edition of Java Chats with Dr. Sandy. Does anyone have a hurting pelvic region? Random question, I know, right? But seriously, does anyone have a pain in the rectal area, a real pain in the butt, pain in the general area, pressure and discomfort? If so, look no further as my guest today is an expert in the treatment of discomfort and pain in this specific region of the body. My guest today is Diana Singleton. Diana is a licensed physical therapist with a passion of treating women's pelvic health issues to include, but not limited to, post-pregnancy issues, post-pelvic floor surgery, incontinence, generalized pelvic pain, endometriosis, cancer recovery, trauma recovery, as well as many more pelvic-related conditions. Diana is the founder of Reclaim Your Strength Physical Therapy and the author of several ebooks to include seven quick and easy ways to stop bladder leaks without medication or surgery, six proven ways to improve your mommy tummy, as well as additional ebooks on treating pelvic organ prolapse and alleviating pregnancy discomfort. Diana also has an Instagram that features all sorts of helpful pelvic floor exercises and features misconception Mondays relating to the topic at hand. A busy lady indeed. Aside from her extensive knowledge in evaluating and treating a variety of pelvic floor diagnoses, Diana has vast experience in treating outpatient orthopedic sports physical therapy issues. She's a board-certified orthopedic certified specialist by the American Board of Physical Therapy Specialties, as well as certified as a strength and conditioning specialist through the National Strength and Conditioning Association. Diana was an indoor-outdoor track and field athlete at the University of Massachusetts Lowell where she earned her degree in exercise physiology. She holds a doctorate in physical therapy. Welcome, Diana, or should I say Dr. Singleton. Such a pleasure to have you here today. Oh, thank you so much, Dr. Sandy. I'm so happy to be on your podcast and have really enjoyed listening to it. So I'm very excited to be on today and chatting about pelvic floor issues. Thank you. And this is such a such a very uh, important issue. So and as I mentioned in prior podcasts, I am a physical medicine and rehabilitation specialist. And as such, I work very closely with physical therapists, occupational therapists, speech therapists. So I guess you can say I have a soft spot for all things therapy. I see what physical therapists do on a daily basis in terms of the rehabilitation education they offer their patients. It is truly admirable. My patients often come to my care post-life-altering events, and by the end of their stay, many are able to walk out on their own. Truly remarkable and so appreciated. So, Diana, you are a physical therapist specialist in the area that most therapists are not specialized in, that is the pelvic floor region. How did you come to specialize in this particular region of the body? 
Yes, it was really interesting because I actually started, I knew I wanted to be a, a physical therapist since I was in 10th grade of high school. And um, I really wanted to work with athletes and in an outpatient orthopedic setting, which I did for uh, many years after I got my doctorate in physical therapy. And then when I became pregnant with my son, I was just much more aware of the pelvic region of the body for obvious reasons. And um I was an active pregnant woman and I was noticing there was such a lack of resources for women during pregnancy. Um, but that also compounded with the fact that I had a lot of moms telling me that I should get used to the idea of leaking my pants when I sneeze or, you know, I won't be able to jump without leaking and all of these things that women live with postpartum that I was just finding out about while I was going through my pregnancy. And I just thought to myself, like, this just doesn't seem right. Um, I want to know more about this. And that's not the life that I'm going to settle with, um, because I did my I had big plans of getting back to running and all of that. So um, anyways, I, I did my training, I, I left the job that I was at, I got trained at the other um, place that I ended up working. And I took several pelvic floor training courses through the Herman and Wallace Institute. And eventually just started doing more and more on my own and became very, very passionate about sharing the message with women about the postpartum reality and the fact that we actually do have more control over some of these issues than we've been told. And it's just been a very, very um, wonderful experience getting into the field of pelvic floor physical therapy. You're absolutely right. Um, I remember being pregnant. I've had uh, three boys, three and three years, as a matter of fact. And um, I was never told about taking care of my pelvic floor. So it's not it's not something that uh, women are told about or discussed with, I think, during, you know, even during their pregnancy visits or as, as they progress through life. I don't recall that even even mentioned to me. And it's a shame because it's something that is preventative and something that is so necessary to prevent further issues down the road. Exactly, exactly. I would love to see it become more of a mainstream thing here in the United States. It's just it's pelvic floor physical therapy has actually been around for a long time. It's just not, it's still not widely accessible here or as widely accessible as it should be. Um, other countries, it's much more of their mainstream to offer this to women who are at least postpartum. I know in France, since the 80s, women receive, uh, you know, about 10 physical therapy sessions for their pelvic floor after having a baby. And that's just, you know, the expectation. I know Sweden is also like this and other um, places parts of the um, of the world, like the UK, it's just a much more accessible service. Oh, that's uh, it's something definitely we need to uh, further look into in this country for sure. So how, how does physical therapy differ from other types of physical therapy? Because I, I, I imagine for some muscle groups, you have to access and manipulate the vaginal and rectal areas, correct? Exactly. Yeah. So Basically, physical therapists in general treat um, muscles and tissues in the entire body and pelvic floor physical therapists, we branch off because we specialize in treating muscles and tissues in the pelvic region of the body. And this may include internal assessment of the rectum and the vagina in order to access these deeper, more internal muscles. Um, I think of my work is not only targeting just the pelvic floor internally, but we're also accessing muscles through uh, what I call the abdominal cavity, you know, muscles uh, throughout the rib cage and 
abdominals and the back muscles too. Um, they all are part of that integral core system um, that works as a team with the pelvic floor. And you did mention that you would need to access um, certain muscles, like you just said, the uh, both both the abdominal muscles and the muscles related uh, to the pelvic floor. But we before we delve into specific conditions that can be treated with pelvic floor rehabilitation, take us through a tour of the pelvic floor. This region has so many layers of muscles and ligaments and is very vascular. I, I always feel like a little anatomy review helps put things in perspective. Since this region is more complicated than what we might think or uh, differs actually between men and women. Right, absolutely. And I know it's one of the areas of the body too that it can oftentimes become so vague to people. We don't uh, put much thought into it. But um, so the pelvis is basically made up, the, the bony pelvis, I'll start with that, is made up of the two hip bones or also known as the pelvic bones. Um, those come on either side and then they are connected at the back and at the front. They're connected in the back through a broad bone called the sacrum. And um, what connects to the sacrum is um, at the very bottom of it is a little um, bone called the coccyx. And so that's the, the back portion of the pelvic the pelvic region. And then the front is connected by a bit of cartilage called the pubic, um, at a, the pubic symphysis is right where that connection is happening. So that's the bony surrounding of the pelvic girdle. Um, within that, now you've got three layers of muscles that sling right on the bottom of the pelvis. And that's what makes up your pelvic floor. Mm-hmm. Uh, these muscles are responsible for our most important daily functions, obviously, such as peeing and pooping and having sex and birthing children um, and all that. So, you know, we have these muscles meant for those functions as well as overall support to our core um, within the, those muscles. So you've got the three layers of muscles and what sits right on top of those muscles is your internal pelvic organs. If you're a female, then you've got the uterus. Um, men and women obviously have the intestines and bladder that are sitting uh, right on top of the pelvic floor. Now, this whole region is really embedded in um, fascia and other tissue, um, you know, blood vessels, fatty tissue, all of that. Uh, the fascia is really is what's connecting all of the muscles in the body, including muscles of the pelvic region um, and the internal pelvic organs. And I, I always explain fascia to my clients as, you know, If you visualize, you know, you have an orange that you peel the skin off of how it's all held together with the rind. That's really like what fascia is in our body. And um, yeah, that is a great uh, anatomy tour there. I can actually (laughs) visualize the the whole area. And and you're right, a very, very important area that we probably don't focus too much on. And you said the. Uh, daily functions of all those things that you mentioned, plus all the organs, uh, really kind of placing pressure onto that area. It's an area that we sit on a lot too. It's an area that we use with our muscles and legs to walk. So much stress in that particular small part of our body. Uh, thank you for the anatomy uh, <laughs> uh, review there. Um, so, so typically, what, what kind of patients seek your service and what can clients and patients expect during uh, a particular visit. 
Yes. So the women that come to see my seek me out for services are women that are usually experiencing some sort of urinary leakage. Uh, pain with sex is a big reason women come to see me. Um, you know, constipation, pelvic organ prolapse. Uh, that's just a an issue that women have sometimes where it can feel like something maybe coming out of the vagina, maybe like there's a tampon just constantly in there when there's not. I see them for those issues and endometriosis and just a number of different pain issues as well. And I see women um, at all different stages of their lifespan, most often uh, pregnant and postpartum women, I say. And and like you mentioned, there's uh, so many uh, different topics and so many different diagnoses that somebody um, can present with. But let's let's start with pregnancy. Many of us may not be aware of how pregnancy actually affects the pelvic floor. That is, as the pregnancy progresses and then during and after the birth process. Tell us tell us about that. Yeah, so basically what happens during pregnancy, as many of us are familiar with, that there is a hormonal change that happens as soon as the pregnancy occurs. And with the onset of pregnancy, this influx of hormones causes relaxation and give to the tissue in the pelvic region of the body. And the purpose is to start to gradually allow the pelvic girdle, that whole bony pelvis to start to expand. It allows for the muscles to um, have some give and relax so that the growing baby um, has grown Uh, to grow. And so that being said, there's a lot more pressure that starts to be placed on the pelvic floor, on the pelvic organs um, as they get shifted. And the belly, the front of the, the abdomen starts to really expand, especially into that third trimester. And so not only do you have these hormonal changes happening, but now you also have postural adaptations that your body is starting to make due to the um, changing size. And there's also a a shift in the center of gravity. And so what happens is by that third trimester, our weight goes from, you know, standing up right on our midfoot to shifting back more onto the heels and um, just to offset the belly. And what this does to the pelvis is it sort of tucks it under a bit and so leaves uh, pregnant women with less access to their gluteal muscles, which is a really important muscle group for getting up from sitting, walking upstairs, um, and helping to support the pelvic floor. So there's just... um, an extraordinary amount of pressure that's placed on the pelvic floor during pregnancy. And then um, oftentimes, too, in the third trimester, women will experience an abdominal separation known as diastasis recti. And um, that's really just the ligaments and every in the fascia and all of that that are holding the main muscle, like that six pack muscle, if you can visualize, um, it's what holds it together. And so it acts as a release valve really in the third trimester. Oftentimes after delivery, it can, you know, stay separated. So that's where pelvic floor physical therapy can be very helpful in helping to knit that back together. I talk to women a lot of the times too about just expectations for how to deliver if their plan is a vaginal delivery. And the train of thought now is much more towards being able to relax the pelvic floor as to really bearing down and pushing, um, doing things that are going to be correct protective of the perineum, which is that area right between the vaginal opening and the anus. We really want to avoid um, tearing of that area and 
you know, just doing things that are going to assist in the most um, effective and efficient birthing process uh, in regards to keeping mom's body as intact as we can. And then I see women typically six weeks postpartum for, you know, an assessment of the condition of what their pelvic floor is looking like. Is it um, properly contracting and relaxing? Are they having good bladder and bowel habits again? Is there a diastasis recti? And um, did they have a C-section? What is the scar look like? How's the mobility of that and everything? So um, we really walk alongside women through the entire birthing process. So where were you when I was pregnant? <laughs> My I mean, grandmother asked me the same thing. <laughs> I, I had, I had, I had three kids in three years. Okay, so you can imagine the pressure on my back, my belly, my pelvic region. Uh, wow, I could have definitely used your services <laughs> pre and post uh, pregnancy. But so uh, do you work in conjunction with OBGYNs at this point or not yet? Yeah, I mean, we do work in conjunction with them as we t- we tend to get referrals from OBGYNs, but I still found myself with my last job anyways, I was sent out a lot to go and make connections with OBGYNs and just let them know about exactly what pelvic floor physical therapy is. And um, while some have a good understanding about what pelvic floor physical therapy is, I was finding that um, even going out there and, you know, talking with them, a lot of the times they were under the impression that maybe all we do is teach women how to kegel properly. So there was a lot of education on my part as the pelvic floor physical therapist to the OBGYNs about, um, you know, how important pelvic floor physical therapy is and how it's really about what we call down training the muscles after they've been through trauma or been stressed or anything um, to really see if they can relax down before we really start to work on kegels and engaging the muscles so much. And you had mentioned that it's best not to bear down during pregnancy. That what, what should pregnant women do then? Ideally, we go over a lot of breathing and um, allowing the belly and the rib cage to expand because what I tell women is that when your belly is expanding and your rib cage is expanding, then your vagina actually opens. The pelvic floor drops down and relaxes and um, making it much more conducive to using that as the um, time you're going to you know, apply a little bit of pressure during the delivery, as opposed to holding your breath and pushing down uh, against pelvic floor muscles now that are tightening up, and now you're working against your body. But um, research has been pretty definitive with that. Um, However, it takes about 17 years for uh, research to become mainstream practice. So we're still kind of in the midst of of all that. But I, I, I like to empower my women um, to know kind of what's going to work for their body and to just have an idea like, okay, if I, if I at least can focus on my breathing in this way, that will uh, be much more helpful than working against myself. Real helpful advice there. And then you, you did mention kegels uh, that uh, can be done post-pregnancy, but of course that's not all. What uh, what uh, other uh, exercises can be done after the birthing process that can help women? 
Yes. Yeah, so other exercises, initially what I, what I like to have women work on is if there's any tearing or if there's a C-section scar, we want to get right in on those areas because um, the scar tissue that settles in after having a C-section or after having an episiotomy or a tear, if, if the baby was delivered vaginally, um, that can really interfere with your exercises because scar tissue um, really tries to replicate the muscle, but it doesn't stretch and it doesn't contract the same way that muscle does. So one of the first things I like to show women is how to do some self-mobilization on these areas just to make it more pliable and, um, you know, not as tight and get the tenderness down there so that when we start to get into our exercises, now all of their tissue can properly expand and contract and really work for them the best way. We go over a lot of breathing exercises, of course, because again, um, a lot of women have pain in these areas after. And one of the things that we tend to do, whether we have abdominal pain or vaginal pain, is we hold our breath, we clench our stomach, we're holding things tight, we're really guarded. It's a very protective um thing that women will do. And so one of the first things that I like to teach is just how to come out of that protective posture and being able to relax the muscles in the body and do some slow, deep breathing by allowing the belly to come out and expand and um, and just connecting through the muscles that way. And then we get into more, um, uh, you know, deeper core exercises. And I certainly like to always make sure that I go over with them a proper lifting mechanics for um, their, having their baby and um, all the new demands, especially with first time moms. It's like you go from living your life one way with you know a certain set of daily activities, and then you go from being pregnant to all of a sudden you're not pregnant anymore, and now you have a little one that you have to um, bathe and nurse or pump for, and your body's just doing all of these different motions and mm -hmm. you've never done them before and you're learning on the fly and all of this. So it's really helpful to just have someone come in and take a look at you and give you some pointers like, oh, tighten your butt when you lift or try to exhale when you're getting up from sitting. Um, that can be really helpful to the healing of the body. Learning on the fly. Yes. <laughs> That's what motherhood is all about. <laughs> no one, no one gives us a journal or a diary or an instruction manual. And uh, so I'm so, I'm so glad that um, uh, I'm having this chat with you because this is such great, useful information that women don't have to learn on the fly. The, the information right. is out there. So thank you for uh, helping convey all, all these useful tips. You mentioned endometriosis before, and it is estimated that approximately 10 to 20% of women suffer from endometriosis in the United States, which is a condition that it's defined as endometrial-like tissue, sort of that uterine lining tissue, causing significant pain as it's located outside the uterus within the abdominal cavity. How, and, and, and this happens monthly and, and even throughout the month as well, and it's very painful and very uncomfortable for women. How can pelvic floor exercises help these women? Yes. So the women that come to see me um, that have endometriosis or either have had surgery for it and are now seeking the pelvic floor care after, um, they these are women that have been in pain for quite a long time. Endometriosis, one of the markers for that is having a very heavy and painful period. So a lot of these women have been suffering since their teen years or from the onset of their periods. And um, what it looks like 
um, when you have endometriosis can be a lot of bloating, abdominal pain, um, and uh, severe pelvic pain as well. And um, when the body has been in pain for so long, anything longer than three months is really into the um, area or the realm, I should say, of being chronic. And so a lot of these women who have had chronic abdominal and pelvic pain, their bodies really do think that they're under attack because of the the pain signals that they've been receiving so frequently and for so long. And so one of the big things that we go over in pelvic floor physical therapy is trying to calm the system down. There's two parts of the autonomic nervous system that we talk about, the sympathetic nervous system and the parasympathetic nervous system, um, where the sympathetic is that fight or flight response, uh, which is where our bodies tend to live when we don't know how to. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Do you know, release the pain or not have pain. And the rest and digest is that parasympathetic where we um, try to activate that more in pelvic floor physical therapy. So a lot of these women, I have them doing, um, you know, deep breathing, uh, diaphragmatic breathing is amazing. It's just when you um, take nice deep breaths, breaths through the belly, trying to not move the chest too much. And that's a great way to activate the parasympathetic sympathetic nervous system and just get everything to calm down. And it signals to the pelvic region of the body that there's less pain. So we go over plenty of that, um, stretching exercises, exercises that are going to help elongate the muscles that, again, have probably been so tightened over time from just holding tension in other areas of the body. Um, and I also will do, you know, some abdominal massage. If the pain isn't too bad, I, I do some internal release work to the muscles to get those muscles to relax down. And we go over ways to do some self-release work at home. I have women purchase things such as wands and dilators that I teach them how to use when they come in for their sessions so that they have ways to work on their um, pelvic floor issues um, at home. And those similar methods are actually used in women that uh, um, experience discomfort during sex, correct? Exactly. Yes. That's kind of another set of diagnoses. You know, there's, there's a variety of different issues that women will have causing pain with sex. And that's another indicator that their sympathetic nervous system is just on all the time. And parasympathetic um, relax and digest is just having a hard time turning on. So we do all sorts of techniques to get the systems to balance out again and get that relaxation 
in the body happening. And um, a lot of the treatment is very similar to what I do with the women that have endometriosis. Uh, I was reading that uh, painful intercourse actually affects as many as 75% of women at some time. And for some, it's rare, but for other women, it's more persistent. So they could definitely benefit from your type of services. Right. Pelvic floor physical therapy makes a huge difference for these women. I think probably 90% of my caseload is women that have pain with sex as one of their issues. And so many women suffer for so long with painful sex and almost don't even know that it's an option to have pleasurable sex anymore. And it's just really eye-opening for them when they come in and have their evaluation and um, just learning about these tissues in their body and how they're not supposed to be tender and there isn't supposed to be pain and just learning that there are things to um, really help with, um, you know, making things very comfortable for them. I was reading that sexual abuse rates in general population range between 15 to 25 percent, and that sexual abuse can obviously have long-term consequences, not just emotionally, but physically. So in, in what ways can pelvic floor therapy help with the healing process? Right. It's, I, I see, um, quite a few women that have been through some form of abuse as well. And um, it really does take its toll in the physical form um, in the body and particularly in the pelvic region. What's interesting about our pelvic floor is that it's such a highly intuitive, highly emotional place where it stores memories. And um, when we have pain or if there's ever been any trauma to the pelvic region of the body, the muscles start to retract and tense up and tighten up um, and not want anything to go in um, or not even want to anything touching them in that vicinity because um, it's when it, when women are under, um, have any threat of stress, the pelvic floor is region of the body to really tighten up and respond to the stress. So when you have been violated, then your pelvic region does not trust and it doesn't know that it can let go and relax. And um, this tends to cause a lot of chronic pain in these women. And one of the big things it, with them is really just uh, giving them a place of in showing them empowerment and how they actually do have a choice when it comes to their bodies and who's touching it and how it's being touched and all of that. And, um, you know, really starting with, you know, getting the consent for assessing the pelvic region and what ways they're comfortable with it being assessed, whether it's externally or internally or maybe we don't even go to the pelvic region to start. Maybe we start with touch and maybe it's, you know, I'm okay with you touching my hand, but I'm not okay with you touching my leg. And, you know, just really working with them and giving them a choice and empowerment and um, what they are and are not okay with. And then, of course, going through a lot of relaxation type of exercises and um, things that they can use on a day-to-day -day basis to retrain the body and retrain those muscles to just let go um, and not be in such a state of contraction all the time. And this, I would imagine, is also a multidisciplinary uh, kind of um, treatment for these women, uh, psychological, uh, physical, uh, and I imagine it also uh, doesn't happen, uh, obviously, in a short period of time. It may be uh, prolonged within months to years, and, you know, in terms of, in terms of their recovery. Exactly. Yeah, and a lot of the times these women 
have gone through pretty extensive, you know, psychological therapy before they even make it to pelvic floor PT, which is so necessary. And, um, you know, oftentimes too, there's a dietary component too, because when you're in so much pain and, um, or maybe, you know, depressed, then it can certainly impact eating habits, which affects GI tract and bladder functions. So um, it is, it's a very multidisciplinary issue. So is, is there a genetic component to pelvic floor dysfunction? Yes, with um, leakage issues and pelvic organ prolapse and just um, tissue issues like hernias and um, hemorrhoids, those sort of things where we rely on muscle tone and the tone of the tissue, that um, can certainly be a genetic component because what we know is that, um, you know, muscle tone is an inherited trait. And so there can be more of a prevalence, um, a hereditary um, connection between those issues. And you did mention bladder prolapse and uterine prolapse. And as women get older and approach menopause, like you mentioned with the decrease in estrogen, how how is the pelvic floor affected and what some of the and what are some of the conditions that are evident some of my patients have urinary incontinence or frequent urinary tract infections others like i mentioned have a pelvic floor uh prolapse that either affects either the bladder or the uterus how how can these particular women be helped so during menopause and post menopause estrogen levels are changing and with that drop in estrogen comes the tissue changes and what that can look like in the vaginal area and the impact it has on the pelvic region of the body is that the tissue becomes uh, more dry and it becomes a bit more thin and so women start to report having more pain with sex or just more pain down there in general, like the dryness, um, they can develop something called lichen sclerosis, where the skin can start to, the folds of the vaginal tissue can start to adhere a bit just because it is so dry. Um, but this also impacts the elasticity and everything within the pelvic region, including the pelvic organs, which we start to see relax down a bit now because there's not so much um, support Support to the tissue. And we um, see, yes, more prolapse issues and more leakage as women get older. That's compounded with just the fact that once we're into the um, 30s, that we start to lose a bit more and more muscle mass each year. And um, pelvic floor physical therapy can be super helpful, though, for these women, because um, just in general, like we always can still build our strength up, even as we're progressively losing it, we can um, always build up muscle mass. And we go over a lot of strategies with women that are going through menopause or postmenopausal about, um, you know, the different estrogen treatments that they could be talking to their doctors about that some find beneficial. Um, We do release work to the pelvic floor if there's any pain. Um, We talk about positioning for sex and um, proper lubrication and um, maybe the use of a lidocaine ointment too, because sometimes I find that the tissue on these women right at the bottom of the vaginal opening can be very, very paper thin and tender. Um, So there's there's treatments for that and just, um, you know, going over proper bladder habits 
is something that I go over with a lot of them because there's so many misconceptions revolved around how to go to the bathroom and how, how much water should I be drinking. And I, I find a lot of these women start to limit their fluid intake in hopes of decreasing leakage. And mm-hmm. what that actually does is that now it leaves the bladder in a state of dehydration and very irritated so that when anything enters it, then it does is more prone to leakage. So um, just kind of reframing their thinking about hydration and how actually drinking plenty of hydrating fluids is uh, much better and healthier for the bladder and um, really does help in preventing leaks. So we, we go over all of that. Do, do kegels also work in uh, women as they age? And oftentimes, uh, Sometimes, you know, some of us are better at doing them and there's misconceptions with regards to kegels as well. Right, exactly. I mean, yeah, for women going through a lot of these issues, kegels can certainly be effective. But one thing that I look at all of my patients, whether or not I end up having them do kegels as their part of the plan of care, is I I do always assess um, how they do it and make sure that they do know how to properly contract and relax their pelvic floor. About 40% of women, based on verbal instruction alone, don't perform Kegels properly. And out of that 40%, 25% do it in a way that's detrimental, more detrimental to their issue than helpful. So it's really important that I make sure that they know exactly what a Kegel is and how to properly perform it. And yeah, generally, if, if women are having leakage issues or pelvic organ prolapse issues, then Kegels can be really effective as long as there isn't already some muscle tension and pain in the pelvic floor where we would need to relax the muscle first. If they're at a place where we could just get right into the strengthening component, then uh, we do all different types of Kegels, fast Kegels, long hold Kegels, Kegels in different positions, Kegels with weights. And um, there's many ways to do these that can be helpful for these women. Wow, who knew there were so many different kegels, right? <laughs> wow. Um, then, and you mentioned you mentioned um, many misconceptions, and one step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now you wanna get mixed up in the family business? Introducing the Godfather at ChapaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. One of them I think you had mentioned to me uh, privately was in terms of whether women should sit on the toilet or hover over the toilet. Right. That's such a big misconception that often stems from childhood. And women hover over the toilet all the time. It was a habit that I had for many, many years. And um, it's just it's not good for your pelvic floor. Basically, you need to really sit down on the toilet seat, ideally with arms forearms resting on your thighs, leaning forward, this is what's going to put your pelvic floor in the most relaxed position to be able to effectively empty the bladder out. Uh, When we sit or hover over the seat, like so upright, um, we're actually tensing up our pelvic floor muscles. And this is very confusing to the bladder, because now it's not going to empty fully. And you're working against a tight pelvic floor now to be emptying again the pelvic floor should be relaxed at different times. And those times that it should be more in a state of uh, rest is, you know, when you're eating or when you're having a 
uh, bowel movement or urinating. Um, so you, you don't want to be hovering. Wow, lots lots of misconceptions there. <laughs> I'm going to have to have a talk with my mother too about uh, sitting versus not sitting on the toilet. Um, right. so it, it can be a hard habit to break. Yeah. So um, in the in the last episode of the podcast called uh, "The New Me," nutrition and diet was mentioned as an important building block for the foundation of overall health, and you mentioned obesity. How does obesity affect the pelvic floor muscle group? And are there any specific dietary recommendations that can help with pelvic floor strengthening and conditioning? So obesity can impact the pelvic floor in women that are having pelvic organ prolapse issues or urinary leakage. Even five pounds of a weight loss in these um, with these issues can be really helpful in taking the pressure off of the pelvic organs and off of the bladder. And, um, you know, I talk a lot about there is definitely a dietary component that we talk about in pelvic floor physical therapy. And a lot of that conversation revolves around, well, what's your fluid intake and what's your fiber intake? Because a lot of leakage issues that people don't even realize is because of constipation. They're not having a good bowel movement. They're not having a long and smooth stool. And that is indicative that they're not usually getting the right amount of water intake in combination with the right amount of fiber. And so I don't really, I don't like to specifically tell women that they have to lose weight because I feel like we get that message all of the time anyways. And I like to reframe it for them um, in a much healthier way to think about, okay, how can I honor my body best by putting the best nutrients into it and move, you know, my body some and, you know, stay hydrated and all of that. So I usually, my staples that I tell everyone is you want to be drinking whatever your body weight is, half of that in ounces of fluids, mostly being water each day, and also 25 to 35 grams of fiber from your diet each day. And the conversation often goes into, okay, what are these foods looking like that are going to get to you um, in the most healthy way to that 25 to 35 grams of fiber really needed for your system to um, run properly? The other thing that we too talk about some is just, you know, caffeine and, um, you know, if you're, if they're having any pelvic pain, I usually have them kind of stay off of that for a little bit or just limit it just because of it does kind of impact the, that sympathetic nervous system. Um, and then also women that are having any urinary leakage issues, I have them just stay away from it for a little bit. And then we gradually add it back um, because mm-hmm. the goal is I want women to be able to do and eat the foods that they really want uh, without having these issues. But um, we definitely do have conversations about diet. Well, so much to talk about. And and these are only a few of the conditions that the pelvic floor physical therapists um, deal with. And and so many women can benefit from your services. Like I said, Um, wow, you, you need to shout this from the rooftops. This is this is this is such this is such important work because you deal with a whole gamut really from from uh, from birth of your child all the way to uh, end of life you know so it's it's just the whole spectrum of a woman's life so so very important and we haven't even mentioned post surgical pelvic floor 
rehabilitation, and that's a whole issue in and of itself. How, how does someone with pelvic floor issues contact you for a consult? Do they need a doctor's referral? Yes, so they can contact me directly. They don't need a doctor's referral. Um, it's more dependent on their insurance if they're looking for reimbursement. Since I since I don't, my practice does not take insurance. Um, I do give women um, an invoice after each session that they could submit to their insurance company if they're looking for any reimbursement. So in those cases, they may want a script from their doctor or a referral. But um, in general, they can reach me directly and um, through email or phone to set up a session. If, if you had to give five pieces of advice to women listening today on how to best care for their pelvic floor region, what, what would they be? So tip number one, as we just mentioned, sit all the way down on the toilet seat. Don't hover. Um, that is such a big you know, issue, as we had just discussed, and one thing that can significantly impact the health of the pelvic floor. And then tip number two is avoid breath holding throughout the day. This is something that I see people doing all of the time. And it's just, it's our body's response to stress. And it's also our body's response to um, being able to compensate for weakness in other areas of the body. But if you can just kind of take a moment throughout your day, just start to slow down a bit and breathe. If you catch yourself at your computer or driving or standing in line somewhere and you're not getting a nice quality breath in and out, um, then you're likely breath holding. And so, um, you know, just take a moment to be mindful of that and remind yourself to breathe. And number three? A number three is to not settle for sex that doesn't feel good. Basically, if it hurts, find out why. And, um, you know, other tips I usually recommend is using plenty of lubricant, um, but really address why your pelvic floor maybe tight um, and how you can relax it through talking to your partner and trying different positions. But um, I always encourage women to, to not settle for painful sex and really um, have an assessment from their healthcare provider and find out is the source of it because the muscles are tight or is it a hormone related issue? I'm glad that you mentioned that because women oftentimes are their worst enemies and they blame themselves. And right. I'm glad that um, you, you you know they have they have an outlet to uh, figure out what is happening. It's not their fault. And also, this is about empowering women and also taking charge of their own health. Uh, so thank you for mentioning that point. And point number four: aim to go pee five to eight times in 24 hours. This is such a basic piece of advice, but it's so helpful and we don't know it. Like we go through our entire lives not really having any idea of the number of times a day we're supposed to be going pee. And um, what can happen is I see people that either go way too much or they go way too little. And this impacts the health of the bladder. So I always make sure that I let people know, you know, what the normal range is for going within a 24-hour period of time. And this reminds me of another episode of the podcast, uh, I Need to Pee, <laughs> where we talk <laughs> about, 
Yeah, yeah. We talked about um, urinary tract infections and the misconceptions there as well in terms of uh, it is not healthy to hold your urine. Yes, Um, I absolutely agree with you. And tip number five. Um, And just knowing if you're someone that tends to hold tension in your pelvic floor and has pain in the pelvic region, um, you know, that would tell you, okay, this maybe kegels are not a good place for me to start. Um, But if you're someone that doesn't have pain or tenderness and just, you know, really wanting to coordinate the muscles better, um, then doing kegels can be beneficial. Diana, thank you so much for joining us today and for helping us understand a very important and often neglected part of our bodies, the pelvic floor. Uh, This particular region, like we mentioned, uh, of a woman's body defines so many other functions, both physically and emotionally. And, uh, and, and we need more education on this area because it's not exposed. And it, like you said, it can be easily overlooked. So thank you for shedding a light on this very important topic. And thank you so much for having me on. I really appreciate you doing this topic. And um, I love talking about pelvic floors and educating women about their bodies. And uh, yes, it's such a, a not um, well understood area of the body. So I'm always happy to shed some light on that and make people aware aware of um, this important part of the body. You probably know what I'm going to ask next. And I'll be honest, I'm afraid to ask because caffeinated beverages such as coffee and tea should be avoided when it comes to pelvic floor issues. But what, what is your favorite drink, Diana? My favorite tends to be some type of chamomile tea. Um, I love right now a honey vanilla chamomile tea. Um, but then in the evening, I've been enjoying lavender tea. But I will fully disclose that about one to two times a week, I I will have a cup of decaf coffee. But um, chamomile is is pretty much my favorite. This has truly been a pleasure. And, And I urge all of you to visit Reclaim Your Strength Instagram and website for further information on today's topic. Great advice and great videos on the Instagram and the website. And as always, I refer all of you to discuss any type of medical treatment, therapeutic options you may want to explore with your personal medical provider. The information provided here today is purely informational and not intended for diagnosis and or treatment. Thank you for listening. And as always, truly appreciate it. Catch me on Instagram, LinkedIn, and Facebook. Podcast episodes are also available on my YouTube channel, Java Chats with Dr. Sandy. Until next time. Thank you for choosing Java Chats with Dr. Sandy as your personal brew. Real women, a real life, real chats. Thank you for choosing Java Chats with Dr. Sandy as your personal brew. Real women, real life, real chats. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.